See, it doesn't. It didn't stay. See, there it is now. Got what, it. What was that delay? That was a weird delay. Anyways, uh, testing, me, testing, testing, testing. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Free Reeling It, uh, your movie podcast that you listen to by yourself, even though I was about to say with friends. I am one of your hosts, Jesse, and with me today is your other host, Matthews. Matthew, say hi. And with us today is a very special guest. It is uh, a friend of mine who likes to dabble and write in the horror. And so we thought, why not bring her on for the month that is all about horror? I'm really having a terrible intro because I'm just so tired today. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's Maddie Lewis. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, how about both of you? I, I think both of our brains are on uh, a weird, like, fried level but also like we're very wired to talk about this movie perfect that's actually the (laughs) best way to talk about this movie i think well for me it's 2021 i work in healthcare and when i went to get a drink before the show i'm like do i want coffee or do i want whiskey Mm, both valid choices i feel like yes i ended up with coffee because i have to do some things after the show but (laughs) but i might end i might end my night with a whiskey (laughs) uh solidarity i i I work in healthcare too um optometry so not not the most high stress but it 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 can be a lot i'm x-ray tech at a trauma center so so you got a lot you got way a lot it's it's a lot all it's it's a lot a lot of the time all the time it's a lot on a lot on a lot um maddie you brought uh to us the 2011 film kill list by uh, I of course I just walk out of the the, the image I was looking at, but Ben Wheatley. Um, and I have a question before we actually jump into the movie. Though is, is this your favorite horror movie, or do you have another favorite horror movie? Um, this one is my third favorite horror movie. It follows very closely on the heels of The Witch, which is my favorite horror movie, and mm. The Devils, which is my second favorite horror movie. But um, I specifically wanted to talk about Kill List because I feel like a lot of people don't talk about Kill List. It's kind of one of those, like, if you know, you know movies where, like, a lot of real horror heads will know about it and think highly about it. But, like, you ask the average person, they're like, what the hell is this? I've never heard of this movie in my life. Yeah, Kill List has been, like, spinning around my horror circle for a long time, but I haven't really sat down to watch it. Um... Like I kept on seeing videos and like the horror channels I follow talking about it, and I keep on seeing it recommended to me when I watch other horror movies. But I'm like, I've heard this one's heavy. I'm gonna hold off. Uh, it turns yeah, it's, out it's true. It is heavy. Matthew, yeah. have you ever heard about it before? Uh, I told you that we're watching it. So I think when you, I think when you brought it up, I knew I hadn't seen it. But then when I went looking for it, I'm like, I thought I knew this movie, but I, I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, can I just go into thoughts? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just jump into, like, this is going to be, I think, the hardest movie that we've ever talked about so far. And this, that's saying something because we've talked about like really terrible silent films. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, see, like, okay, so... Uh, just immediately right off the bat like once credits started rolling I'm like okay I am not the same person that I was when I started this movie um now and I've I've had I've had probably like 
five or ten movie experiences like this. Um, and earlier today, I was actually talking to my my wife about it because she asked, like, "What movie are you? What movie are you guys talking about?" I told her about this. She's like, "Well, you didn't tell me you're watching that." I'm like, "When I saw the trailer, I knew it wasn't a Reba jam, so I figured just I'll just I'll just, I'll just watch it when I can." And but the, since I rolled credits on this movie, and I did, I watched it this morning, and I've my brain has been doing things to itself about this like part of me wants to logic it out and try and make sense of it and the other part wants to just do all of the uh fantastical allegorical things that it seemed to be going on and it's trying it's it's trying to force like uh, okay too many thoughts and my brain is bottlenecked uh yeah but, so, <laughs> But ultimately, ultimately, where I land on this movie, this is what this is one of those movies that will definitely takes like you know the mental camera that I sort of experience the world by and sort of just tilts it a little bit on its side and shows me like a whole new angle. So with that, really glad to have watched it. Uh, and because I am not the the horror fan that that Maddie is. Uh, I'm not sure I would recommend it to folks. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a very disarming movie. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I encountered it. I was in college. I was um, I was I don't remember if it was undergrad or grad school. Doesn't really matter. But I was at home on a a break or a long weekend, and my brother and I wanted to watch a movie, and we saw this on streaming, and I'd never heard of it before. But it had this kind of cool, moody-looking cover. I'm like, okay, this this, and then I, you know looked at the little little blurb and I'm like this sounds kind of fun let's give it a go this sounds kind of interesting Mm -hmm. um and so my brother and I sat there and watched this like dead silent transfixed the entire time but then when we got to the end we just sat there and as the credits are rolling we're just staring blankly and I think it took us like five or ten minutes before anyone said anything or moved (laughs) and um there's not very many movies that will get that much of a reaction out of me. I've uh, I've become jaded a little bit, but um, sure. yeah, even even in college when I because college was when I started really getting into horror movies. I'd actually been like as a younger kid a lot too sensitive to watch horror, so I'm not one of those people who saw like Friday the Thirteenth when they were like seven years old and like suddenly they that became their life it took me a little bit longer oh yeah um, that that would they were basically outlawed in in my house when I was a kid so yeah so I I I know that life yeah so um it was just a really disarming experience and I've not really encountered many other movies that hit me in the same way and it's it's such a weird experience um I find a lot that my reactions to really like any art, whether it be a movie or a book or even a video game sometimes Mm -hmm. tend to be very, um, very much on an emotional or even like sub-emotional, like visceral lizard brain level. And I sometimes have a hard time um, putting into like cerebral thought what strikes me so much about them and that's actually kind of why I want to talk about this movie because I want to unpack it and unpack why I like it so much and what I think it's doing so that's kind of why I picked it 
cool. Yep, I want to yeah. do all of those things too. <laughs> For me, watching it, I think I think one I I need to when the next time we do this, I need to not watch a bunch of horror movies before we watch a horror movie for the show. Um, Live and but, learn, Jesse. Yeah, but also I I, I'm very, I came up very much the same way as you did, Maddie. With uh, with I didn't watch a lot of horror movies as a kid or even in high school because I was pretty much scared of my own shadow for most of it. Um, I remember I watched the original uh, Night of the Living Dead, the black and white one, mm-hmm. um, and a friend's uh, like dad's like trailer house, and, and like I, I was like so scared, like halfway through, I'm like I'm I'm just gonna go watch the kids movie in the back with the, with his little sisters and then like the next day i was just thinking I was like what if zombies attacks us all day so like like that was me until like college and in college i was like wait all of this is made up <laughs> like i can i can finally disassociate from reality when i watch these movies and not get terrified by them anymore because i realized oh this is all uh made up and a lot of times like i uh, i realize it's a metaphor for something else or it's trying to present uh, something abstract or obscure that we feel or that we know of that in a in a really ugly way and I felt the same way we're watching kill us but I also came away that from it the same way I did when I watched sinister for the first time um which not saying these movies are comparable at any at, at any point except for kind of the end in some ways mm-hmm. where um I felt very hollow when I finished it which is probably what they were going for but i hate that feeling so much <laughs> that it always leaves a bad taste in my mouth so i can never say i didn't like the movie but i can say that i didn't like my first viewing of the movie yeah it's um i i uh i recommended this and like wanted to talk about this knowing that it was a very real possibility that one or both of you guys were gonna fucking hate it so i'm right. glad you weren't that far into it <laughs> But it's, um, yeah, it's very, very bleak. Like, it, you definitely do not feel good at the end of that movie. Yeah. And uh, I am a masochist, so I seek out art that makes me feel like shit, at least, like, temporarily. I don't want it to be, you know, I, I will never feel happiness again. But, like, if you can make me feel really, really bad for, like, half an hour, I'm, like, super into it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh well- Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. Go ahead. No, that's well, I was gonna, it, I was like... gonna say like I'm I well I I don't know if it's masochism for me, but I like I do like interacting with art that will leave me with a lot more questions than answers. Um, like I actually with with this particular film, I found myself thinking of uh. A couple of pieces of music that I've that have affected me in a very real way but when I've tried to share them with other people they're like what is wrong with you um and one of them is like Captain Beefheart's Trout Trout Mass Replica it's a pretty acclaimed album but when you listen to it it is it is unlike anything you'll hear because everything is happening all at once. And then another one was Ascension by John Coltrane, where it's literally just a whole lot of noises at the same time that don't really seem to, at least on the face, it don't really seem to go together. And what all three of these seem to have in common for me is like, I ended up finding my own groove in a lot of ways. And 
at the end of all of them, I was like, I, I'm, I'm always like, wait a minute, what's, what's all, I thought it's, it's like that, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, the Pepe Silvia thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like where I just feel like I'm standing in front of a in front of a whiteboard going okay all of this connects how <laughs> and uh, and and yeah it's, and I while it's one of those things that I'll always think about especially since I uh, but I will probably come back to this movie I don't know probably probably I would say I might come back in a couple of months maybe even a year. But this movie will stick in my head for a while and I'll probably come back and watch it again. And I owe that all to you, Maddie. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I've I've probably seen it. I probably watched it like maybe, maybe nine or ten times at this point. It's just okay. kind of one that I, I I keep coming back to. Um, and it never doesn't make me feel kind of like shit, but it it's mm-hmm. uh like um it's not like the kind of like so maybe this is again like maybe a personal thing but you know how if you like get a scrape or something and you rub or pour alcohol on it it stings really bad but it also kind of feels really good yeah yep. this is one of those movies for me it's like it hurts really bad like it's it does not feel good but it also feels fucking great at the same time yeah i i feel that completely i guess we should like briefly summarize the movie uh like spoilers will probably be talked about at some point. Oh, you really with, can't talk about this movie without kind of spoiling. Yeah, but I feel like um, they like jump into the discussion. I want to point out first how it's very so. It's about two assassins. That's one thing you got to know, mm-hmm. um, or two hitmen. Um, I don't know how you would rather prefer because I like I always think assassins is like very methodical and planned out. Where these guys are just like, okay, we got to kill They're this like person. Contract killers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's very and uh, it, it's point out other things I've watched after that to kind of like digest it more people talking about it a bit where it's very much mundane in that aspect of it all um, like yeah you're going to see these hits and they're going to be very graphic and they're going to get worse and worse as you go along for reasons but the process of them do pre- pre- preparing and going to these things are very mundane and I feel purposely meant to be kind of boring if that makes sense like yes. there's a whole scene where they're checking into a hotel you don't need these scenes for um for the audience the audience could just figure this stuff out by themselves but i think it's purposely lulling you into a sense of day-to-day mediocrity with two hitmen with two contract killers yeah um yeah um that's actually one of the things i really like about it because it starts in such a very mundane place and you know it's just this former hitman uh former at the time of the beginning of the movie uh is having money troubles and you have scenes with him and his family him and his wife and him and his kid and they're all pretty mundane like tense you know the family short on money that kind of thing Mm -hmm. It's, it's nothing super out there or bizarre and one of the things and this is like a it's one of those small things that actually makes a huge difference for me is I love the casting in this movie because everyone looks so goddamn normal. Yes. Yeah. Oh like, my goodness. Like even the um, Shell, the main character, Jay's wife, who's very pretty, she looks very pretty in the way that like you could see her getting milk next to you at the grocery store. No yeah. one looks done up. Like 
you know, if, if this was an American movie, Jay would probably be like Chris Evans and yep. um, like <laughs> Shell would be this like total bombshell starlet. And it's just wouldn't be nearly as immersive or effective as having these characters. They all just look like completely normal people. Nobody honestly, would bat an eyelash to see out on the street somewhere. Honestly, like when I was, when I was, I was, I think first uh, this morning, I was probably about a third of the way through. I'm like, you know what? If this were American, this would just be the Hurt Locker. Yeah, if like, this, this were American, just, this would, it would be very this would, different. This would just be a take on the Hurt Locker. This would be Gerard Butler or wait, who, who, who was in the Hurt Locker? I forgot. It wasn't Gerard Butler. I don't know. I haven't uh, seen it, but I, yeah. I. Yeah, but it's like Evangeline Lilly from Lost and uh, another, a, 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 a guy, I can't remember his name, but it's basically like two hollywood level actors and this is just this this seems very like apart from uh i think his name is michael smiley who kind of looks like a knockoff peter stormar yeah i can see that and i actually i freaking love michael smiley he's one of my favorite actors he's great great in everything he's in i love him yeah he's he i mean i don't i don't know of anything else i've seen him in off the bat off the top of my head but in this i was like man this guy Who's this guy? He's, he's, he's been, all charisma this entire film. He's great. He's been in actually several movies with this director. Um, I've actually seen a, a bunch of different movies with this uh, by Ben Wheatley. Uh, okay. He's kind of hit and miss for me. This one I think is his best. Um, but he also has, um, I would say like the three that if you're, if you're only going to watch three Ben Wheatley movies, this one, um, A Field in England, which is, set during the English Civil War and is in black and white and is very, very trippy. I would say that one too. And he has um, an adaptation of J.G. Ballard's novel High Rise. That's really good too. It's got Tom Hiddleston in it, which just weirded me out. I'm so used to seeing him in like MCU stuff and like not caring because I don't care about MCU at all. But then to see him in this like very bizarre, like kind of dystopian, grimy, grimy movie playing like a complete piece of shit it's like Mm -hmm. man this is so much better we need to free him from the shackles of disney so he can do weird shit like this in crimson peak again (laughs) right or bronson wasn't tom Hiddleston? is that was he in bronson no that you're thinking of tom hardy thank you yeah thank you but yeah tom Hiddleston did do the night manager which is pretty good yeah um but yes um yeah, Michael Smiley's fantastic. I love him in everything. And he does kind of look like Peter Stormar a little bit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, wait a minute. Is that, is that Peter Stormar or is that someone else? Um, you, I was going to say, oh, what did you just say, Jesse? Saying, I didn't hear you. Uh, I was just saying you should watch Luther because that also has Michael Smiley in it. Okay. Yeah, I think he plays, uh, I think he just played one of the detectives on it. But anyways, um, and the other thing about this movie that subtly builds throughout until it kind of coalesces at the end, but also kind of, I feel like about two thirds of the way in it kind of, you, you start to really feel it too, is, is the, um, uh, the, the word is now slipped from, from my mouth. Um, what is it? Um, someone help me. What's, what type of horror is this? Full horror. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. That's horror. what I was looking for. Uh, yeah, like that. I like how that slowly bleeds into the to into the world, and I think folklore is a very underrated genre, but also a very 
misrepresented genre in a lot of ways. Like um, there's a big discussion right now with antlers, um, what that's what that's doing about it. And it's very interesting how it's kind of misrepresenting what it's all about. Um, so yeah, so yeah, really, I'm, I'm really curious. Like how, what did you guys think about the bleed over between the two genres? So I am like the biggest folk horror junkie. I love it. It's my favorite, at least in film. In written fiction, I kind of waffle between gothic horror and folk horror, but in film, folk horror is my absolute favorite. And um, I didn't know that it was going to have those elements um, when I first watched it. I, I literally knew almost nothing about it. And once that started bleeding in kind of the cult stuff, uh, I, was, I was just perking up more and more. Um, what I think is interesting, because you kind of mentioned, and I, I kind of talked about this just like on Twitter last night when I was posting about having watched the movie again, is you mentioned like things just bleed in. And this entire mm-hmm. movie is just, just bleeding into one another. Um, mm-hmm. So you bleed from a domestic drama into like a hitman, like contract killer kind of, not really a horror, but a thriller. Yeah. And then you bleed into this like full-blown cult folk horror by the very end of it. Um, so it does that with the genres, but at the same time, it also does um, a lot of the times, like the transitions between scenes before you go full on from one scene to another, it'll kind of interplay between two for a little bit yeah. before you get into the one that's chronologically later. Um, and it also has a lot of parts where the audio from one scene will play while the action from another scene is playing until you kind of bleed into that scene and the editing in that is so I've never seen another movie that really does that at least not to that extent and not that successfully but it makes everything very jarring but at the same time it also kind of feeds this sort of flow of just like this is a flow of of life this is mundane actually this is not anything to be remarked upon until it absolutely is so it kind of lulls you. It has this rhythm where you feel calm despite also feeling very unsettled. Like, cause there's never any moment in this movie where my heart rate's really up or anything like that. It's not, um, it's not that kind of tense. It almost reminds me of like, if you ever like get into a state where you are so panicked that you cannot actually physically feel the panic anymore and you kind of go into this like zen master state yeah. um or like so stressed or something it's it's almost like kind of gets you to that feeling where it's like i'm so upset by this that i can no longer feel it and i have shut off yeah like fight or flight started to hit started to hit me about midway through the movie <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then and then like by the time uh by the time the final third is really in its full swing i'm like i just i'm here now yeah i also noticed with the editing too there's an, there was another type of scene cut that i think also goes to the sense of unsatisfying um where i think there there's a few times where um, I, the scene that sticks out the most, but there's a few times I remember this happening, um, the, but the scene that sticks out the most is when he's cutting back into his hand um, and you see him kind of like digging in and it just cuts away from mm-hmm. that without any conclusion to what that's, what's going on there to yeah. him driving to the cabin. And there's a, few, there's a few edits like that that are very like, not just tense, but like engrossing moments with the characters and there's no conclusion to those scenes. They just move on. And 
I feel like that's kind of indicative to the whole movie in itself where it's like, you're not supposed to stay here. You're not supposed to stay with these characters in this world, in this area, with this, with this horror, because like you, like you're supposed to just move past it as fast as you can, because it's trying to make you get that sense of like, I need to run away. I need to get away from this. If that makes sense to you guys. Right. Yeah. That I, so on, on that note, like I felt that the first, like, uh, I felt I felt something very similar to that when uh, the way they cut through tension between Jay and Shell's fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, cause you see them just blow up. Like it goes from zero to they, they go nuclear real, real quick. And in, in, in those, I think there's only really two arguments that you see, but they do you they they don't finish just all of a sudden they're just back and usually like when when i see that sort of thing i'm like okay we probably need to get out of here but then all of a sudden you're, there's like, everybody's happy like especially that dinner party um uh, early on where they blow up the two guests don't leave like it's just not awkward for them or anything which I'm like that's that's a bit weird, and then just literally two minutes later, like two three minutes of film, and everybody's like, okay, well, that was weird, but you know, let's hang out a little bit. Now we're gonna dance in the living room, or and then we'll end up on we'll end up in the backyard, or end up in the backyard. Everybody's having a good old time. All of a sudden, again, I'm like, I'm not the only one that just saw them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about to go to blows am i and uh yeah it's very destabilizing in that way like you never like not only does it like ratchet up the tension almost so much that you can't even feel it anymore it also like you never really have your feet totally under you and I, it's really interesting for as much as you don't always see resolutions to things that get brought up. I feel like you have a really good idea of who the characters are as people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Jay and Shell suck a lot. Yep. Both oh, of man. them. Um, uh, Michael Smiley's character, um, Gal, he, he rocks. Like, yes. I would want him to be my wingman. He rules. Um, yes. He's probably like suspect, but like, I really like him. Um, but you get the interplay between these characters so much and it's it's really effective and I think it really just comes down to the writing that is there the, the parts you do see it's really well written and the acting is fantastic it's very natural and I think a lot of that does kind of circle back to the fact that it's it's not filmed in a very flashy style the editing gets kind of they do some cool stuff with the editing, like I mentioned earlier, but the actual 100%. just basic film cinematography, not really anything super flashy. Um, there's not really a whole lot of single frames where I'd be like, oh, wow, like this is really great. Um, and then, Lots of cold light. Lots of cold light in this film. <laughs> yes. And then the fact that they just have completely normal looking people doing all of these parts. I yeah. like... There's, um, there's a film critic that I really like um, who wrote, her name is Gretchen Falco-Martin. She has like, she does film and she does, um, writes her own fiction, but she has an article on 
The Sopranos and how just by like casting totally normal looking people for that show, it really elevates the show. And I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching this um, since between the last time I saw this and now I hadn't read, like that's when I read that, that article that she wrote. And it was really kind of in the back of my mind as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh yeah, actually this, this film does draw a lot of its impact from just having people that like, you look at them and you buy. They're like, yeah, this is a guy that lives in suburban England somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> these are these are two guys who are kind of out of their depth contract killers who like maybe used to be paramilitary and yeah. um, but are not not in their prime anymore. Like, all of the characters are so believable, and that adds a lot of strength to it. I really wish more films, w- and that's actually one of the things I like about British productions in general, is they tend to cast people who are m- more regular looking or let their people, l- let their actors and actresses look just like normal. Like, yeah. we, like we've all seen pictures of- heart too. Mm-hmm. Like we've all seen pictures of Scarlett Johansson without makeup and she looks a lot more normal. But when you've got like the best hairstylists and the best wardrobe people and the best makeup artists, like, mm-hmm. of course she looks like inhumanly like gorgeous, but that doesn't always work for the movie. And in fact, I would argue it almost never works for the movie as well as just letting people look how they look kind of normally. 100%. I, I it's really... That. Uh, that when you when you bring up uh, how everybody looks so normal, and it makes you feel like it's pe- people in like your neighborhood and stuff. It make it gives it like a third genre in that way, where this is a domestic horror too, or especially when they bring when they talk to the, when they get to the librarian and you find out about like the weird um, assault snuff type films that the librarian has. Yeah, this this dude looks like someone that like he's a librarian. He 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 runs a library. Your children will go to this library. Mm-hmm. right yeah and he looks just like a total normal dude like you probably wave to him when he's yeah. out taking his dog outside and you're out getting your mail like yep it's totally normal and, like, and, and that, that makes it a little more looks, unsettling too especially since like when they when they first get him too he's he's screaming for help and like the doors are wide open no one's coming and so at that mon- in that like section of the movie it felt very domestic horror to me Yeah, and I actually wanted to talk about that particular thing because there's something that I really like in regards to that, which I personally think is, um, it's the most violent scene in the movie. It's the goriest, Mm -hmm. it's the hardest to watch. Um, But the thing that I find is really, really clever, and I, I like this a lot thinking about it, is so he's one of the, the guys on their, their kill list. He's one of the, the hits they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And they are kind of investigating this, like he says, like a stash of like, kind of like, presumably like snuff type films that he yes. curates or, you know, has the access to or archives, I guess. And you see a scene where um, one of the guys watches some of it first and all you hear is like the screaming like it sounds like a woman and probably like a younger woman too or maybe even a female child um just this horrible screaming and he's just appalled then the other one watches it and he's just appalled and you don't see that you never see any even a flash of what video they were watching yep. then the actual hit on the librarian is 
the most brutal scene in the entire movie. It's very gory. Uh, the guy gets his head bashed in with a hammer and I, for the life of me, can't figure out how they did that practical effect and made it look like that, like disgustingly real. But you realize they showed me this, but they wouldn't show me that. Yeah. And it like, retroactively <laughs> makes yep. that that much more fucked up. I was I like, also, wait a minute, what did they not show? <laughs> I, I also like the, the positions of uh, Gaul and Jay in those two scenes also, because Gaul looks at the videos first and it's, he literally looks at it for maybe at most five seconds. Like, yeah, it's just it like, is a, so quick. like that. But Jay sits on those videos for almost, it felt like a minute. Mm-hmm. And you watch him watch it. And like, he's seeing the exact same things uh, Galsa, but he just he stays there and he absorbs it even more. And then when you get to the scene with there where where he kills the librarian, Gaul's upstairs and he's hearing it. But Jay's doing the actions that he's like he's extending. He doesn't have to hit his knee that many times first and then hit his hand and then beat him with a hammer. He could just beat him with a hammer. And yes, it's also I feel like Jay like slowly descending into what he eventually gets to. But I I think that's a very like great um. Uh, gosh, what is the word? I keep on losing my word. It's a, it's a great just mirror of both scenes and like how they're both reacting to each other. Yeah, it's really interesting how uh, Gal kind of has this like lovable rogue sort of character type. He's like almost always the conscience for Jay. He's like, you don't need to go this far. Like, let's make it clean. Like, um, mm-hmm. like a and and you know despite the fact that he's also a contract killer um he just keeps he keeps trying to 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 get jay to just just do it right do it clean get your hits get out and and jay just has so much like anger built up and he can't he can't do it like he has to he's he's the one who always snaps the one thing i noticed uh, or the one thing that or at least it stuck out to me and I, I might be misreading this completely, but like when they first sign the, the contract and the person they're dealing with uh, cuts Jay's hand, I've no- I noticed that because throughout the film, Jay keeps looking at his hand and for he lets, he lets the water run on it for a long time. He messes with it a lot. He, uh, he eventually digs back into it. And I think a lot of that parallels into him watching the film we will not see. Yeah. And I think I think it's just he he's despite whatever happened before the film takes place, it's like he needs to feel something in those he's moments. He's a scab picker, absolutely. He's got to do something. Yeah, it's uh, like I have to like I have to feel this and I and and I don't really know what the rest of my thought is but like he he just has to feel that (laughs) that that does does lead me to my 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 major question about this movie and it comes down to horror movies that do don't really don't present themselves so clearly is what do you guys think what is your interpretation of the movie like what does it mean to you because I think there's a, a quite a few you can get from this and by quite yeah. a few, I mean hundreds. 
Yeah. yeah, this is one of those movies where I've tried to come up with my own interpretation. I've read a lot of different interpretations. I have never found nor come up with one that I think totally captures how it feels. So I kind of have always like let myself interpret it on a very um, just like this lizard brain, like primal yeah. level and just like let it wash over me. But uh it definitely seems to have some like it, it like a almost like a ceremonial aspect to it like jay when they cut his hand he's marked he's the guy mm-hmm. and all of these tasks are leading him down this kind of very dark path until the end where they they basically they trick him into killing his wife and son and kind of crown him with this wicker crown and it's almost like we're going to mark you to go through hell and come out this kind of like king of fools basically it's like you didn't have to do any of this your own actions led you here um it's i don't know i feel like a lot of ben wheatley's movies have this um because especially he has some other like this one a field in england and then his most recent one in the earth are all folk horror Uh broad stripes but all of them do this thing that um it's like I feel like there's something like just um outside the boundaries of what I can articulate that they mean but I don't have like I don't have the knowledge or the language and maybe like can't have the knowledge or language to to articulate it and I know a lot of people would probably like have that feeling and be like oh it's you know it's just bad he's not a clear director or whatever but um because I'm a very gracious person, I usually like to assume if I don't understand something, it's not because the artist is wrong, it's because I am lacking context or don't have the knowledge or something. Or like, or the, or, the, or you don't have the language, like, because that's, that's exactly yeah. how I feel thinking about this movie. Like, I don't know, I don't really know what I saw, but I'm not afraid to just try and, I'm, I don't, like, despite my brain wanting to explain it, I'm okay not. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like it's not necessarily even meant to hit you on the level of like, this is something that you can explain easily, or this is a direct allegory for something. I did notice um, in the film, there are lots of kind of threads that I, I've been trying to kind of piece together and figure out exactly why they're there. Like, um, there's a lot of little references to Christianity. Like the first major one is when they're at the party and Gal's girlfriend, Fiona, like doesn't understand the tension in Ireland between Catholics and Protestants because she's like, oh, well, they're just, they're both Christians, aren't they? Um, and Gal's like, no. And then he, is, when the, their first hit is a priest and he's very uncomfortable with that. So he seems to be like, almost like the moral Christian even though he's a hitman. Um, but then also he ends up, spoiler alert, he ends up dying and Jay ends up living and, you know, killing his family inadvertently. Yes. Um, or then even the scene, uh, So, but Jay seems kind of hostile to it. Like he doesn't really care um, when the family cat is killed their son, uh, Jay's son is asking if the cat goes to heaven. He's like, oh, I don't know about all of that. Like, why don't you ask your uncle gal? Um, 
and then there's a scene where they're in the hotel and there's this I guess like this Christian group together and they're kind of obnoxious and the one guy like gets out his guitar and Jay is just so pissed about these people and <laughs> it's interesting because he's the one who has this like kind of quiet or or in the, the case of the dinner scene like outright contempt for Christianity and he's the one who ends up basically like initiated into this like pagan cult but mm-hmm. it, it's very interesting but I don't feel like it's moralizing I don't feel like it's Christian good pagan bad um it just has this tension between the two which I think is very common in a lot of in a lot of folk horror you see that a lot and in a lot of horror coming out of the British Isles or Ireland in general tends to have this tension between the the pagan and the christian somewhere embedded in the story and sometimes it'll explicitly take one side or the other and sometimes it doesn't really um but it's it's a really interesting thing in this movie and i'm not sure what to make of it I should also point out that there's a co-writer to this movie, and that's Amy Jump, and that is Ben Wheatley's wife, I believe. Yeah, she works with him on um, a number. She's worked with him on a number of projects. Uh, I would say uh, his most successful ones are usually the ones where she co-writes, actually. I think she deserves a lot of credit for... Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that's a very important, like, to talk about, like, this is... Like, really, the core of this movie is about a couple... Uh, having issues and it's very interesting that it's written by a couple um, and yeah so, so Matthew would, would you would, would, did you have any sense of a meaning when you finished it or were you kind of still like it all kind of was surreal so, and kind of visceral so I, I mean, meaning is probably not the way I would I didn't really I didn't really I, I'm I don't really have a meaning for this film. Um, and I think it would take me way longer than, uh, if I ever come up with one, it would take me way longer than the hour and change we usually go for to, to really to really reason it out. But just to ask the question, the symbol that's consistent throughout the film, like what Fiona does on the back of the mirror, the symbol in the file, um, and then the symbol, you know, at the opening and the closing of the film. A lot of that, uh, I mean, the way I interpreted that symbol was like the head of a spear or the head of an arrow. Um, see, I looked at it and I probably should have done research to see, I, I, I've kind of looked a little bit to see if that was an actual symbol and as far as I can tell it's it's not from anything in particular it's interesting that you saw like an arrow um or a spearhead because I saw a tree see and 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 I like when I initially like at the beginning of when I when the film opens you see it I'm like oh is that is that like an evergreen tree are they going to end up in the forest but then as I started as we started getting into the killing I'm like oh maybe it's a head of a spear or ahead of an arrow and then the person that that is clearly used to be marked is the one doing the killing so that's why i end up that's why i end up landing there and uh on an earlier episode when we discussed uh but you know it also kind of looks like the little gallows they had set up the cult I, I completely missed that one. Good call. 
Um, but I, I, I ended up, I ended up thinking about Lay Samurai quite a bit, like especially the way uh, I think on that episode Jesse stated that it seemed like Alan Delon's character in that film was creating his own demise, whereas this demise was was marked on Jay. Um, yeah, it um, to get into uh, I am um, you know I, I my degrees in English to get into to it kind of reminds me of uh, so I can't remember what the term that that is the particular term for this is but in a lot of Greek tragedy the conception of fate it's not so much it's it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like this is your fate, but it's because it's what you would have done anyway. It's not like your hand is necessarily being forced. It's right. like, here's your fate. This is just who you are. And this is what you would have always done. Um, which I feel like is kind of something that's going on in this movie too. Cause I feel like, like there's no point really where Jay, like, really is forced into doing anything that he does and in fact he goes he goes uh above and beyond the call of duty um, oh, 100%. on numerous occasions in this in this movie he's more brutal than he has to be um mm-hmm. he only has the library on his hit list but he call, uh, you know goes and slaughters all of the guys at yeah. the kind of you know snuff repository um and there's there's no no point where he really has absolutely no choice but to to go this hard but he does anyway because that's the kind of person he is and i think that's why he was marked and it wasn't gal i can't see him ever making those choices because that's not the kind of person he is so it's it's interesting in that it's it's sort of like this weird middle zone between like complete and total determinism um Mm -hmm like nature, your biology, natural things are the only things that, that cause it. And then like total free will. It's, it's yeah. kind of like a weird balancing between the two of them, which I think is, is interesting. And it's, it's a viewpoint. I, I tend to like that a lot. I like the kind of Greek view of fate a lot more than like pure total pre, predestination. It doesn't actually matter who you are. It's just, this is what we handed you and this is what you're going to do. And we're going to force your hand. It's, this is, this is how things will happen because these were the choices that you were always going to make because of who you are. And I'm glad, I'm glad you actually interjected and said all of that because that break that brings the conclusion to a very interesting clarity in my head because when they uncover the hunchback and you see shell and sam i saw that i'm like oh yo he already did that with fake swords in their yard mm-hmm. yeah Maybe the best foreshadowing in almost any movie. And I was like, I'm like, oh, what happened? I really oh, no. love that bit of foreshadowing because so my personal view on foreshadowing is um it should be totally innocuous the first time you look at it. You shouldn't look at it and immediately be like, oh, that's foreshadowing. But on any subsequent viewing or reading or anything, you should be like, holy fuck, how did I not see that coming? That was totally foreshadowing. And I think this nails it. 
Oh, amen. Like I, I'm like, this is why I hated reading like Shakespeare in class because the teacher would always be like, okay, so this is foreshadowing for later. So keep this in mind. Like, why are you doing this to us? Don't let me, like, let me find it myself. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it and appreciate it a lot more when I realize it myself. This is why no one likes reading this. <laughs> um, but, but when I, when I saw that and put that together, I'm like, okay, everything that I thought about this movie is way different now. And I, at least like that sort of thread and then your explanation, this movie, this movie, this movie's dope now. <laughs> I like this movie now. <laughs> right? So, uh, whew. You still got me to convince. No, I'm not, I, I, I don't think the movie is bad. Um, I, uh, I think it's, it's it goes back to the bleeding in scenes too. The bleeding into genres and the bleeding into scenes comes to the bleeding into to the meaning of the movie. I think there is a lot of aspects and feelings and emotions being played at with the characters, and they're all bleeding into each other. I think Jay's dealing with some kind of PTSD from the event that we heard about that we have no idea what actually it was, but we know it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And that PTSD is bleeding into the 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 hits and his rage and how how short it all is. And when he lets it out, though, he feels justified and he feels very good about it. Um, I think it it it, it the, but that bleeds into the the hidden world around us in a way, like the, the hidden the hidden ugliness everywhere around us. Because with the cult and with the uh, the, the hits that they do. And um, and like we see it with Gull's uh, girlfriend that he brings over, she's part of the cult. He doesn't, he can't see it because the, it, it's so the that world is just so hidden to us all. And and there's and I think that is kind of presenting a thing that is there's so much hidden to us in our day to day that it would probably shock us <laughs> to our core to find out all the stuff that's going on around us that we don't even see. And that even goes to the foreshadowings, like. It, if we paid close enough attention, like that's maybe that's a little weird. I don't know. Um, but then that's a really it. good one. Yeah. Now that you speaking of foreshadowing, when you mentioned Fiona, uh, Gal's girlfriend being in the cult. So when she's first introduced, they talk about her job like in retrospect, kind of more than you would think that they would. And she's like an HR like hatchet person. Um, mm-hmm basically like she's the one who decides who who gets to be sacrificed for the greater good of the company and she and then she's in this cult and they're also having these sacrifices and that's another one where it lingers just long enough that you you get maybe the little bit of inclination in your head that it's going to be important somehow yes it doesn't really connect a hundred percent until you've completely seen the, the the whole movie yeah and then now now things are now threads are because and then all of a sudden later in the movie when she comes over and bring you don't this is a completely off-camera scene but she brings a present for sam and then shell says didn't like her at first but i'm okay with it now yo what does that even mean (laughs) yeah i've read some interpretations of this movie and i don't know exactly how i feel with it Because I don't think there's enough in the movie to say, yes, this is definitely for sure correct. Like this was, this is how you're supposed to see it. But I also don't think there's enough in the movie that totally dispels it either. 
Um, I've seen some interpretations that say that Shell was actually like knew what was going on and that's why she's laughing at the end. Yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see that. And I, I'm of two minds on that. I, on one hand, I'm like, I can kind of see it, but on the other hand, I kind of don't. I almost see it as like, like a final moment of spite that her husband's such a piece of shit and she's always been telling him that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's, that, that's the point is that there's not enough to define what the movie is, but there's so much to give thought to all these different aspects. Like there's nothing we haven't talked about is how many times people tell Jay to wake up and a hundred percent and not only is that like play into the the world around you hidden to you but it also plays into is any of this is any of this even real or is it like a manifestation somewhere in his mind of all the trauma he's suffered from his past just bleeding into everything in his life all of a sudden like there's like but but again like there's not enough for either one of those to be correct, but there's enough to say that could have, that could be it though. Like you don't know, but I think that's what's so much fun about movies just like this um, is the, you could talk about, we could talk about this. We can come back to this a year, uh, next the year, which I kind of want to really, do and, and like do it again and talk about what else we see this time around. Yeah. The other one that's, re- the other little thread that kind of weaves through here that's interesting to me is they mention Arthurian legend a lot. Yes. They like, want to name the dog Sam Arthur. Always, yeah, they want to name the dog Arthur or Gwenny, like Guinevere if it's a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the little boy Sam always wants stories about knights. They're playing yep. knights with swords. Um, there's just a lot of those little, little things, nothing really huge. Um, and I think that kind of ties in with the the pagan Christian kind of stuff you have going in there too, because the King Arthur legend in itself, it you know, it, it comes from a, a pagan origin. Um, but as it's been developed over the years, it's taken on all of these Christian elements. So it almost is pointing at like, like kind of like you said with like the hidden world like this this pagan like underworld that's always been there and is still there just under everything um you know when you dig deep enough that's you'll find it if you go far back enough you'll find it and I think that's Mm -hmm. very interesting too and again that's something that I find is very common in folk horror um is that it will have this this idea of the the occult or the peg the pagan just like constantly underlying uh modernity even it's just there it's it's not really gone away you just don't know how to see it i mean that's what occult means it just means hidden yeah is uh did you guys have any more thoughts you kind of wanted to bring up right now about the movie um so i actually the one thing that I have seen people say that I find really um, kind of amusing is, so this film and a Serbian film came out pretty close to one another and they have very similar endings. Um, although a Serbian film is like way more perverted and gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I saw that Twitter. I was telling Jesse before the show, like I saw that Twitter conversation. I'm like, well, now I have to watch a Serbian film. I looked uh, into that. I'm like, nope, I'm not. Nope. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. Yeah. Um, 
but that was that wasn't even the first time I heard like that that was a you know little Twitter conversation I had but that's not the first time I've heard that I, I've heard a lot of people say that who have seen both movies I have not because I love myself and as much as I'm a huge masochist and I like movies that are going to make me feel bad um I read the Wikipedia page for a Serbian film and I feel like that's a about as much as I need out of that movie. There, there's a big difference between being a masochist and just being gross. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. I, yeah. I would. I. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's. But it's interesting. Like some people will use the oh, it's just the ending of a Serbian film to like knock the the story. And I'm like, but the surprise of the ending doesn't really matter all that much. It's it's what leads into it. I do still think that Kill List is a movie that's best seen um, kind of somewhat blind. Like yeah. maybe watch the trailer, but don't, you know, don't read reviews, don't really dig into it. Um, and this is coming from someone who's like, a, like um, I, I have a pathological addiction to spoilers. So usually the second I become interested in something, I'm like, I'm going to find every single fucking spoiler I possibly can for this. I want to know everything that's going to happen before I even bother watching it and I actually that I normally like that but every now and again something will slip past or it'll be you know something I watch on the spur of the moment not knowing anything about it um and usually it ends up being the stuff that I really needed to watch unspoiled to be perfectly honest yeah but this is one of those where I just like just don't don't look up too much about it don't learn too much beforehand just go into it pretty much blind and just let it wash over you and you will have some kind of feeling about it it may not be good but i don't think this is a kind of movie you can watch and just have no response or reaction to yeah agreed which to me like i want a movie that either people are going to really freaking love or really freaking hate i don't want this sort of like middle in the road of the road thing where people are going to like mostly be like yeah it's okay it's fine it's pretty good so whenever I see yeah. something on Rotten Tomatoes and it's like got like a 90% critical rating and then like a 50% audience rating, I'm like, oh, let's fucking go. I'm yeah, ready. That's, that's yeah. the sweet spot right there. <laughs> Matthew, do you have any more thoughts about the movie? Um, I'm, I, I would echo everything Maddie just said because they're as, as much as as I didn't start looking up things about this film till after I watched it. And it's, and I I'm kind of the same. I'm not pathological to, to find spoilers, but like they usually don't affect me. Uh, if I had seen, if I had seen spoilers, like it would definitely, I would, I would definitely have been ready and I wouldn't have had sort of the, the, I wouldn't have had the, 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 mind blows or i think that that's how i want to say this but like i wouldn't have had the connections made on this show in this conversation um but like this this was kind of watching this uh was kind of like when i saw uh like parasite and uh and gone girl like i had heard great things but i had not heard like no one had talked plot (laughs) no one had talked like what, and then when I, when I watched it, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I didn't know anything about this before going in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, so I would, I would definitely echo everything Maddie just said. 
yeah, I don't think I have anything more to add other than what I have. But I, but I, it is definitely a movie that I think I'm going to rewatch next year at at the latest. Yes, Just, and I think as yeah. much as it is a movie that rewards going into it pretty much blind on your first time, it's also a movie that holds up really well on subsequent viewings just because it is so layered and ambiguous. Like I said, I've seen this movie nine or 10 times and every time I find something about it, like, it, you know, it's like you've got a multifaceted stone and you examine it in a different way and every time it just strikes you, shines a little bit different. Um mm-hmm. It, it definitely bears rewatching. I think it rewards rewatching. And you may not always notice things like in the literal like sequence of events or images on the screen or the sound or like the, the physical thing itself. But, you know, just being in like a slightly different mood when you start it can change how you perceive it that time. It's really, I think it holds up really good on rewatch. Yeah. Um, then moving on uh, to kind of the next thing we talk about is what have uh, you guys been watching that you kind of want to talk about briefly? Um, I've watched a lot of horror movies, but I don't want to talk about all of them. I only have two that I want to talk about, but you guys, I want, I want you guys to go first. After you, Maddie. So I've actually not been watching a ton lately. Um, I, I started Midnight Mass, but I only got like halfway through the second episode and decided I didn't like it anymore. So I stopped. Um, I did watch one thing I did watch that I really liked was I watched um, one of my friends who's actually the co-host of the podcast that uh, I am am on. Um, He was doing research for an upcoming article that that should be coming out pretty soon near future here about... um, summoning demons in movies like in the actual like uh, occult texts and grimoires so mm-hmm. we watched uh and i'm gonna butcher the name um i think he's czech uh jan svankmeyer's uh faust oh, oh i um, love that movie yeah we watched that recently and i really really liked it it was um faust is like kind of my like i'm more of a goethe person this one's more of a marlowe's faust but that general story framework is my absolute favorite. Like, if you tell me, hey, this story's about someone who makes a deal with the devil, I am there. I'm all in it. But this particular movie is just so bizarre. It has all these, like, stop motion and claymation um, and puppetry all mixed in with the live action. And it's, honestly, it's like a pretty faithful adaptation um, of... Uh, Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus it's Mm -hmm. really great it's very atmospheric the um, kind of invocation scene where uh, that your Faust character is summoning Mephistopheles is just really cool how you know he keeps kind of transporting to these different locales and it's it's fantastic it's really good Um, I've also read the draft of uh, of my friend Kay his article that talks about this kind of thing in movies and it's really good too. Um, I, I, I liked it. I like cool. to, to tell people when my friends are doing cool stuff. So that should be coming out sooner rather than later on um, Blood Knife Magazine, where I also have an article that is about uh, gender roles in Faustian fiction. Um, which I'm going to plug because I'm very proud of it. I, as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, I'm the only person who's written about it. 
Um, nice. I looked at, I looked at, oh, I couldn't find anything anywhere else I, that went beyond just Goethe's Faust. Then I looked at a whole bunch of stories that had that Faustian deal with the devil kind of framework. And uh, I noticed a pattern, which is if the character who is bargaining their soul is a man, he is usually going to be doing it in order to gain money, to gain power, to gain knowledge. If the character is a woman, she is usually doing it on behalf of someone else for their own sake, for someone else's sake, or otherwise reasons that are more or less sympathetic. Um, and so I kind of talked about that and it was, I'm, I'm rambling because it's a topic that I'm really interested in. And as far as I could tell, no one else was talking about it. Well, please keep talking about it <laughs> because I feel like that's probably a, a, a good topic to explore. Yeah, um, the, just... um, it's uh, bloodknife.com is the magazine. They do fantastic criticism. It's uh, sci-fi fantasy horror and anti-capitalism. Um, so their, their critical stuff is top notch. Um, but the article that I have on there, it's called, I gave you my soul and I am dead, which is from Phantom of the Opera, which is one of the things I talk about. Nice. Yeah. That, I can't I actually really am interested to read that one. Uh, Matthew, what have you been indulging in lately? Uh, so I uh, haven't really watched a whole lot other than what I've talked about on our Twitter. I recently watched uh, Chimes at Midnight, uh, one of the only fully finished Orson Welles uh, films I hadn't seen prior. Uh, and uh, and yeah, that movie is kind of amazing. It got me in, it, it got me interested in Shakespeare that I hadn't experienced prior and I kind of want to experience now. We gotta do a fellow uh, sometime. Uh, we could do that. Um, Orson Welles' The Fellow, I don't care for all that much oh personally. i was thinking about the the is it lawrence fishburne okay uh i think that 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 oh i would like to talk about at some point oh okay for sure i'm, I'm down for that um also just want to say it while it's in my head maddie uh in terms of uh jan Svankmeyer, uh have you seen his interpretation of alice in wonderland because if you have no but it's been on the list because it okay. looks very good it's crazy good i really love it I, I think i might like it more than faust just because uh it alice in wonderland is actually kind of one of my favorite stories believe it or not but um, it's good it can't be beat yeah uh but check that out i would love to hear your thoughts on that if you feel if you feel so in inclined um the other thing i watched is i watched superfly uh oh. from the 70s and i talked i i talked about it briefly on twitter i'm going to go into it here i have a when i first started uh getting super into music uh i got into hip-hop uh in the 80s really really it was something that just sort of I always wanted to experience. And when I made a connection that uh, the Beastie Boys sampled Curtis Mayfield's uh, theme from Superfly, I'm like, okay, I have to listen to, I have to listen to that. And that, and this was, I was probably 12 at that point. So that, that album, uh, the album's soundtrack to Superfly has kind of been, I've kind of internalized 
uh, that complete album. And I know it very, I know it almost backwards and forwards. Uh, it's one of my favorite just pieces of music from the seventies. Uh, it is, it is brilliant, but I had never seen the movie. And uh, so I watched the movie and I'm like, wow, the way that I thought this, this music was going to fit in this movie isn't how it actually fits, but also uh, that's okay. I, that, as much as I had sort of married myself to my ideas of how it would work in the film, I was kind of glad to see all of that, not necessarily shattered, but definitely like say, hey, no, you were wrong here. Uh, and that that film is, is it's wildly entertaining. Um, and uh, it kind of made me just it made me think like, man, I wish, I wish a lot of the ideas of film in the seventies kind of carried forward, uh, including the progress that has been made, despite, you know, the, the, despite the distance we still have to travel in terms of progress, yeah. but I would, I would really like, I would, I kind of wish a lot more of that came forward than it than did. Uh, but I would highly recommend both Chimes at Midnight and Superfly. I did watch the first episode of Squid Game too. Uh, I've also been told that like just keep watching and it'll get good because at the end of the first episode I was kind of like, hmm, I don't know. Episode but, two uh, is very interesting. That was yes. Uh, but that's it for me. I've watched a lot of movies in the last two weeks, but there's only two I want to talk about. Um, I. I was I was worried that I was burned out just in general of horror. I don't know why, because um, I think was really affecting me. I think we talked about last episode where I watched like a ton of classics and none of them was really none of them were really hitting. Like Dracula was really cool. Like the uh, the the nineteen thirty one um, with Lugosi. No, that one I find very boring. Oh, I um, like that one. Um, the um, gosh, why can't I remember the director's name? The Keanu Reeves Dracula. Uh, oh, uh, the, Bram Stoker's yeah, Dracula? Ford, Cop- yeah, Bram Stoker's Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, yeah. Coppola. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because I like the book so much and I felt like that was probably the most accurate book representation I've seen so far. Um, but um, the I had a, a week of foreign horror and uh, it turns out foreign horror rules a lot. Um, I mean, I already knew that, but it just re- it really like emphasized how much foreign horror just really, just really rules. Uh, honorable mentions for stuff I watched was uh, the Killing of the Sacred Deer. I really liked. Um, and I've been meaning to watch that. I, I think you'll like that a lot, especially like the, the weird, the, the the weird twist. It doesn't like you don't know what why it's happening, and I'm very curious what you why you think it might be happening. Um, but uh, the Devil's Backbone I thought was very very good. Um, Love the Devil's Backbone. That's actually my probably my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie. I think it's very underappreciated. <laughs> it's very interesting to watch that movie. It's very interesting to watch that movie and see how much that movie's and everything else he's ever done. Um, I've not watched Chronos though, so maybe there's more stuff even in Chronos that that's in the rest of his movies. Um, Flip, his ghosts though, no one does ghosts like Guillermo del Toro. No, Crimson Peak, Devil's Backbone. Uh, best ghosts um but the two movies that that i think really impacted me the most in the foreign horror first one was a korean horror called i saw the devil um it is it is a interesting way to deal with the idea of a man losing himself but also get the most perfect revenge you can get on someone that killed a loved one to you (laughs) um 
it's one of those movies that the first act is really the plot of the movie and you once you once you know what like the real big twist is in the first act like it just never lets it go it's kind of like what uh what horns does in the book i don't know if either of you guys have read the book horns i've seen the but, movie and i liked it but i haven't read the book well, well like in so spoilers for horns uh sorry sorry it's a movie it's an old movie old book you find out who the killer is in like the first act of horns but you watch the you watch the um the main character learned this and how to get the revenge on the on the killer throughout the rest of the book and in and and in i saw the devil the the protagonist catches the killer of his wife in the first act but then he lets him go and the rest of the movie is him just continuously hunting this man over and over again to make him feel as terrified as he makes his victims feel and it's a very very fascinating piece about that and i won't tell anymore uh, i i think that movie never lets lets up on the gas the whole time and so you are always kind of like worried that it's going to go too far and uh, and yeah i'm very i'm very curious how other people think about its escalation process um and the other movie was raw which I very much want to see. Uh, I think it's called Titania, which is the new movie by the director. Because uh, I heard it's a very surreal experience. But Raw, I heard it was very, very good. Yeah, same. And Raw, I heard, I heard Raw was so upsetting, which is very upsetting because of how realistic everything in that movie is. Like everything is super hyper realistic to the point that I was uncomfortable because I felt like the the scene I always point out. There's this early scene where she gets a rash, and it's such a real rash, and it feels real and it sounds real that I, I just knew I knew what that felt like. Um, and so that movie is very real, but I love, I for me like its whole identity of like being a cannibal in that movie is just being a woman in a society that hates women really hard um and maybe that's maybe that's the right interpretation maybe that's the interpretation i'm just getting from the way my mind was at the time but i think as far as cannibal movies go you, that's like maybe the best one you can watch it it's also just really really well done and well acted the actors are so good in that movie um but yeah i don't want to go into more because i do think these movies are ones that you don't want to like spoil too much into. right oh, speaking um, of movies yeah <laughs> Yeah, you asked me what movies I'd seen, and I apparently like forget everything. I just saw Lamb this weekend. Oh yeah, what'd you think about Lamb? I wanted to see that real bad. Um. So, okay, so you know how a lot of times a movie will come out and it's like an A twenty four type of movie, and mm-hmm. it'll get marketed like it's really scary, and then a lot of people will come out and it, like that's not horror, even though it actually was horror. It just wasn't yeah, like a Blumhouse yeah. like they're used yep. to. Lamb is the exception to that. They marketed it like it's horror, and I'm gonna go out, and I'm never the person who does this. It's not horror. I and see. I oh, I saw it trailer. I didn't think it was horror. Yeah, I think uh, I I think when I saw the original trailer, I thought it was maybe, or they were there. The way that it was marketed made me think it was gonna be a like. I'm not saying it's a light, happy, fluffy story because it's it, it isn't, but it's more of a like a dark fantasy. Oh, then it is a horror. Um, I liked it very much. It was really atmospheric. The acting was great, just beautiful to look at. Um, it was uh, kind of strange for sure, but uh, whatever. I, I like weird movies. Um, the nice thing was when my husband and I went to see it, we were the only people in the theater. So we could like, you know, relax and like banter a little bit with it. Kind of talk about it as you're going through yeah, it. Yeah, and not have to yeah. worry about like annoying the other theater yeah. goers. Um, 
So I really liked it. Um, if a slow and contemplative movie where not really a whole hell of a lot happens, but it's really, really beautiful to look at and the acting is really great. If that's something that interests you, I would recommend seeing it. If that's not so much something that interests you, I don't really think that you're gonna be, you know, I'll put it this way. I liked it a lot because it's the kind of thing that I already like, but I also think if you don't already like that thing, it's maybe not like the movie you really need to get out of your comfort zone for, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If you're already inclined to like it, go see it. If you're really not, eh, maybe not. Just to just to be clear, uh, we're talking about the, it's starring Numi Rapace. Yes. Okay, just making sure. I don't know how to pronounce the de- director's name, so I don't want to butcher it <laughs> or no i'm sorry i don't want i was looking at the writer so it's, it's vladimir johansson yeah that, okay. that's the one all right uh maddie thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about the kill list um where can people find you on social media so i can be found on twitter at devil's doorbell all one word underscore at the end um i also have a, a gumroad shop that's got two stories up on it right now and hopefully if all goes well i'll have a third one for halloween um and it's also at devil's doorbell underscore uh the article i mentioned before it's at blood knife magazine you could read it online uh the title of that one is i gave you my soul and i am dead um and i also can be found i'm uh, the co-host of a new podcast about kentaro mura's berserk horror dark fantasy and grim dark fiction called the pod hand um that's me my friends k and jr uh, and actually i'm gonna plug them too you can find k at goblin nun um and uh he also has an audio fiction podcast called grimoire nights that's really cool and i would encourage you to check out um, and then you can find JR at Corgi Hell. And uh, he's just like one of the best shit posters I've ever seen in my entire life. He also does graphic design work. You can get t-shirts. Um, and if you like Berserk, horror, fantasy, or grimdark, check out the pod hand. Um, we've got like four episodes out right now and it's, we're, we're, we're getting things rolling. We're doing a, a, an, a complete reread of the manga as yeah, well as- Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Have you have you read Berserk? I've read the first couple of volumes of Berserk. I need to start buying the hardback so I can go back and reread it. Hell yeah. I, um, I earlier I started reading. Uh, I have the first volume of the hardcover, and I'm actually rereading it again. And once I'm done, I'm going to start listening to your show. Awesome. I, I subscribed. I subscribed right after uh, I, I started following you because I. All due respect, did not was not aware of you before Jesse mentioned you, and now that I am, I'm uh, not a I, not a very big name, but that's okay. Knows, that's okay. Oh, I'm just, I, I, but I you're like, gonna I, be one day. I want to see yes, your name yes. and likes. Based on what I what I've seen so far, you're you're going places, kid. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just an X-ray tech from Philadelphia talking. So what do I know? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very excited to listen to that because I while berserk was a slow start for me uh, i ended up really liking that before the end of the first volume so uh i'm also going to follow along with you i'm excited to do that we are delighted to have you happy to be here <laughs> matthew where can people find your stuff 
You can find me at infinite underscore rewind on Twitter. Uh, I, I also am part of a couple of other podcasts. One uh, is about video games. It's called Story Route Zero, where three friends and I just get together and talk about what we're playing. Uh, and then I'm also, I also do uh, a podcast uh, called Trivial Merit, where we, where my co-host Caroline and I uh, make playlists eight that are eight songs we either pick an artist or a, a genre and we do eight songs to get a to get you from a light or a dark head space to a lighter one with dice rolls and, and i'm gonna leave find, it there <laughs> and you can find me on twitter at uh what is my handle again sleeper, oh, sleeper of, of the bed, bed. <laughs> sleeper of the bed you can tell my brain she's really gone um and hold on there's a beeping going. Um, and I have another podcast called Wide Comics where I talk to people about comic books. I've been on that and, one too. Yeah, now we got to talk about Becky Clunan, who's really great. And she's writing Wonder Woman with her husband and going to start writing Batgirls with her husband. And those are very good books so far. Um, and also, I have some. St- I have my stories up on uh, uh, Gum Road, but I don't remember what my handle is. I think it's still Sleeper of the Bed, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's me. And Matthew, who does our music for the show? Uh, my buddy, uh, he, he goes by Dead Eye. Uh, that's all caps, uh, D E A D dash the letter I. Uh, you can find him at Dead Eye Productions on Instagram. He's still getting into the solo music game, he, but he but an album is coming and he is working on it because uh, I've seen the cover and I've heard all the songs and he just wants to do a final. A final master. I don't know anything about producing music. I just listen to it, <laughs> and uh, and as soon as that's out, uh, more info will come here for sure. But if you want to hear things he's done before, uh, he and his buddy Ben were part of a duo called the Hope Street, Hope Street Steppers. Their album Black Lightning is on Spotify, and it is one of the best instrumental reggae albums I've ever heard. And I feel like y'all would like it too. And you can find this show on Twitter at FreeReelingIt and email us at FreeReelingIt at gmail.com uh, for any like suggestions or thoughts about the movies yourselves. Again, talk to us about all the movies we've covered. I don't care if it's more recent or not. We'll talk about it. Um, and remember, I did like this movie more than, more than The Descent. I don't want to make that clear. I want that statement there. I like this movie. I just don't like feeling hollow at the end. And that's how I kind of <laughs> want to, I want to have my final soapbox moment to say that. But yeah, the descent kind of sucked, but this was this was good. <laughs> you should play.